Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. All right, we are finishing up our study in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles with, let me invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6 through 21. Allow me to read this passage. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours, and your brethren, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep his holy, himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, uh, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who thirsts come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the pro prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prof uh, this prophecy, God will take away his part in the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in the book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So we're coming to the close of the study of this wonderful book of Revelation. We've seen many of the visions that God gave to John that deal with what we call the end times and the second coming of Christ. Uh, we may struggle with understanding everything that's written in this wonderful book, mainly because so much of it is visions and some of it is symbolism as well as some of it being reality. And sometimes we struggle to understand the difference between the two. Uh, but what we do see are these visions of these intense plagues and judgments that are yet to come. So one thing we must not struggle with is to know that this will happen. You know, the, the last seven years, the, the seven years of what we call the tribulation are going to take place. That's when God allows this Antichrist led by Satan uh, to influence the people of the earth. And 
we as the church will not go through this tribulation because we will uh, experience the rapture being taken up into the heavens with Jesus. But this final passage really deals with the anticipation that we should have as Christians for the second coming of Christ and for him coming in judgment and for us joining him for all of eternity. Verses 6 and 7, if you read those, you will find really three different exhortations, things that we must do. The first thing is that we must believe. It says these words are faithful and true. If something's faithful and true, that means you're supposed to believe them. That's what God is telling us to do. God is emphasizing that he has given us truth that we are to accept wholeheartedly and to uh, live it out. So believe in this word, his word. Well, belief is really the foundation of faith. We really cannot have faith if we don't have something that we believe in. So God is saying here is something faithful and true, trustworthy. So believe these things. Then the second thing is to anticipate. We see that in the phrase where he says in verse 7, I am coming quickly. Now, we struggle with that phrase. John said it some 2,000 years ago. I'm coming quickly. How quick is 2,000 years? The thing is, he's not talking about calendar quickness. What we're talking about is, if you go back to the first part of Revelation, he has this, the letters to the seven churches. After that, the church is not seen at all in the rest of Revelation, which means what we believe is that the rapture takes place, the children of God are with God in heaven at this point. And so what he's really saying is that when this begins, when this seven years begins, I am coming quickly. Everything's going to be a fast pace. If you've read through, as, as we have, if you've gone through this book of Revelation, if you read it through in one sitting, you will see how intense it is, plague after plague, uh, disaster after disaster. And so he is coming quickly. Those seven years will begin, and it will be a fast-paced uh, situation. So we look, and the third uh, exhortation is to heed or obey the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, we must understand that God did not give us this book of Revelation as a novel to read for entertainment. He gave it to us as his word for us to study and meditate and, and to apply to our own lives. It's really an encouragement for us to prepare our own selves for, for our eternity as well as to uh, send that message of salvation out to those who are lost. So then we're, the rest of this, we're really, really looking at four challenges that, that are given. And here's the four challenges. Keep the word of God, serve the Lord, live pure lives unto the Lord, and live with expectation of Christ's return. So we tend to look at heaven as a destination. We think of it as a specific physical place that we're going to be with God. Well, we struggle with that uh, theologically because God is spirit. The Bible says God is spirit and we must worship him in his spirit and truth. So we're not really talking about a physical place. We're, we just got through studying about the new Jerusalem, that we will be in the very presence of Almighty God. Well, we won't be like this. We will be resurrected. We will have resurrected bodies. We really don't know exactly what that entails. We know that Jesus resurrected and he had a physical body that he could actually walk through walls and things like that. But when he actually ascended into heaven, what was his body going to be like when he went back and sat on the 
at the right hand of Almighty God, who does not have a body, who is spirit. And so we struggle with all these things, but what we're told is to heed and obey the prophecies of this book. We're not reading it for entertainment. We're reading it for, uh, for us to understand. So that first thing we need to do is understand what this is pointing us to. It's pointing us to our eternity, whatever that eternity is going to be. Heaven is what we call it. Heaven is more than a destination, it is who we will be with for all of eternity. We will be in the very, very presence of God. So we don't need to just be sitting by idly waiting for that to take place. We need to be actively serving the Lord. So if you look at verses 6 through 11 and then kind of jump down to 18 and 19, we're going to see keeping the Word of God. We've already dealt with this uh, to some extent. Uh, John says, these words are faithful and true. We need to keep these words. Now, here is a miracle that we need to understand. The Word of God been written for many, many years. I mean, Moses was probably the first author. We don't really know for sure, but we're looking at thousands and thousands of years since the first words were written. And the last words were probably John's letters, probably uh, first, second, third John were probably the last things that were written. And so we're looking at, you know, 90, 95 AD as being the last time that anything was written that we now have in our Bible. Do you know how many times our world has tried to get rid of this, discredit it, say it's worthless, and yet is still the most popular, most in print book of all history. It, it may be losing ground, but it's still the most popular book written in history. And it's not just a book. It's the Word of God. And so we need to keep it as faithful and true. It is something that God has given us to, to study, meditate, live by, to apply to our lives. So to heed the prophecies of this book means to guard them as truth. Our world around us is saying, this is not true. They, they do not believe in absolute truth. The Bible is full of absolute truth. If God says it, it is absolutely true. So we don't, we don't have a debate in the matter. There is no debate. We need to stand firm to know that this is the true word of God. And then uh, the warning that we see in verses 18 and 19. He says, if anyone adds to them these words, the prophecies, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from this holy city which are written in this book. Now we look at those and God is pretty clear. He doesn't want anybody messing with it. And we look at this and he's obviously speaking of this book of Revelation, but he's really, as a total, speaking of his word, the entire word of God, the Bible. We have absolutely no right to take out what we don't understand or don't like or add into something to, to make it more palatable to what we want it to say. That's not our right to do. We have no right to do that. And so we need to be faithful and true to the Word of God. And so uh, the Word of, instructs us how we ought to live as children. And part of that is how we are to worship God and God alone. That's all the way back to, to the Ten Commandments. 
Worship the Lord your God, God alone. He says, I'm a jealous God. I will have no other gods before me. He's made that clear from the very beginning. Then if you go back to verses 8 and 9, uh, John is, I think, personally, talking about what he had done before. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. Now, if you go back to chapter 19, verse 10, it says, then I fell at the feet uh, to worship him. But he said to me, do not do this. I am a fellow servant of yours and the brethren who hold the testimony of God worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Some think that John made the mistake twice and fell at the angel's feet to worship. I believe that he is using past tense verbs. He says, I am the one who heard and who saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down. So I think he's talking about that, that past thing and saying, here's what happened to me. I was so caught up in this, all these visions. I had actually heard voices from the throne of God, which were Christ's voice speaking to me. And then sometimes the messages came through one of his angels. And can, can you imagine being John and seeing these visions, hearing the voice of your Lord and all these things? It's got to be sensory overload. It would be for me. I wouldn't know what to do. I'd probably faint dead. But, you know, but anyhow, John made the mistake one time with all the different messages he came, that were coming to him. He fell down an angel's feet and began to worship and the angel did the right thing he says I'm not God get up only worship God so I think that what John was doing was understanding that he made the mistake and he's claiming that mistake and saying make sure that your focus is on almighty God and no one else so we're also reminded that all of God's word is critical for us to study and to live by Throughout the book of Revelation, we're pointed back to many of the prophets of the Old Testament, especially the book of Daniel. And verse 11 uh, sometimes causes us to struggle with this under, uh, understanding it. Let me just read it. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Now, does that mean... If you're not doing anything right, just keep doing the wrong thing. Well, that's totally contrary to everything we've already read in the book of Revelation. It's also contrary to the gospel message of salvation. So how do we understand this? Look at the words right before it and right after it. The time is near. Let the one who does wrong keep doing wrong. Let the one who's doing right keep doing right. Behold, I am coming quickly. Here's what we're looking at. We're no longer going through these seven years of tribulation. We're at the very, very, very end. The judgment has already been made. Jesus has come to judge, not to save. And he's basically saying, from this day forth, because the time is near, my judgment is here. From this day forth, there's no time to change your attitude. Basically, what I see is that we must understand that our decisions uh, determine 
determine our character. And then our character determines our destination. The people who lived through the book of Revelation, who lived through the tribulation, how many opportunities, how many times were they confronted with a powerful power of God, almighty, showing his strength, his power, bringing down fire and brimstone and all sorts of calamity, trying to get their attention, sending out the, the two witnesses, the 144,000 witnesses, all those who did come to Christ, and yet they refused to accept Christ as Savior. They had had every, every, every opportunity during the, during the uh, tribulation to be saved. And he's saying, now the time is near, and I am coming now. So I'm not coming as Savior. I'm coming as judge. And so you will now be judged according to the decisions that you've made of how you're going to live your life. So that's really the picture of what that verse, since it's surrounded by those two phrases, I think that helps clarify. He's not saying, oh, just keep on living wrong. It's okay. Then we look at verses 12 through 14. To serve the Lord. He says, my reward is with me. Well, what reward are we talking about? Well, the greatest reward that we're going to receive is salvation from our sins and eternal life with him in heaven. But he also says, you know, we're not talking about the great white throne judgment where the evil will be judged and cast into the lake of fire. We're looking at the judgment seat of Christ where we will stand before him and he will judge us according to our faithfulness. So his reward is with him and he will come and he will uh, bless us. He will reward us according to how we have lived faithfully. Some will have faced tremendous suffering, persecution, even died a martyr's death, while others have just simply lived in obedience to his will each and every day of their life. But God will reward each of his children according to how we have served him. So we really live in a challenged state. Some people get so focused on heaven that they are basically no earthly use. All they can think of is that day when we'll get to heaven and they don't see the needs around them to minister. Then there's others that are so self-centered, all they can think about is themselves and never think about heaven. And so there's the, there's the divide. But then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What does that mean? He is all in all. There is nothing that can hide from God. He has always been and always will be. He is the voice of creation. He will be the voice of the uh, destruction of the heavens and the earth at the end. He is all. And he sees all. He knows all. And so there is nothing hidden from him. But then he says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Now, we're not talking about physical washing, obviously. What he's talking about is, is being cleansed by the blood of Christ who died for our sins, shed his blood on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. And as a reward of accepting what Jesus did on our behalf, we are welcomed into the very presence of God in the new Jerusalem. So when we walk into that presence of God in this new Jerusalem that we just basically call heaven, uh, we are given right to the tree of life tree of life gives us eternal life. It was present in the Garden of Eden along with another tree, the, the knowledge of good and evil. Or, and 
that tree won't be there, but the tree of life will be because that's what we will eat and it will give us eternal life. There again, is this a physical tree or is this symbolic of what God is giving us? He's given us his gift of eternal life. And so we look and we see that uh, this eternity is going to be spent with the Lord. And that's our encouragement uh, to live for him. Then verses 15 and 16 talk about that we are to live pure lives unto the Lord. And this passage really contrasts the difference between those who live in obedience to the Lord and those who reject the Lord. Let me just read those. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, has sent my angels to testify to you these things for the church. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So verse 15 talks about those who will not be in the new Jerusalem. They won't be in heaven. And he knows, we know this because they have faced that great white throne judgment. They have died eternally. They've been cast into the lake of fire, which is eternal death, eternal separation from God because of their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're considered the dogs, the sorcerers, those who lived immoral lives and never repented of their sins. But then verse 16, we see Jesus describing himself through Old Testament terms again. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David. How can you beat the root and the descendant at the same time? Well, Jesus did. Who created David? Jesus did. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But also it says that through the Word, all things were created. Nothing that was created was created but through Him. So, Jesus is the root of David. He brought David into reality. But he also says, I'm the descendant of David. If you go back and look through all the Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah, it says that he will be sitting on King David's throne, basically saying he will be of the lineage of David. And we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born in the lineage of David. And that was all to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. It also says he is the bright morning star. Now, physically there is a morning star that you know, astronomers can look at and they'll see it across the horizon. It basically is welcoming the new day coming. Well, Jesus becomes our bright morning star in a spiritual sense. He becomes the one who lightens the day and gives us a new day of eternal life. It's hard for us to imagine you'll never sleep again when you get to heaven. There is no night. It will be always day that Jesus is the light that shines and he is our bright morning star. He is the one who announces this is a new beginning, a new life, an eternal life. So Christians will, are to look forward to our Lord's return and we need to live pure and holy lives and obedience to him. And we can only do this by living a surrendered life unto him. Well, the fourth uh, challenge is to live with expectation of Christ's return. Basically look at verse 7, 17, and then 20 and 21, because we've already dealt with verses 18 and 19. 
to live with expectation of Christ's return. Are we really expecting him to return? Well, here's our dilemma. Revelation was written not quite 2,000 years ago. But it hadn't happened yet. Is it going to happen? Yes, it will. We know that it will. Jesus himself says, I'm coming. But verse 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He is part of the Trinity. He is God. He is the one who lives in us as Christians. So the Spirit of God living in us and the Bride who is the church, who are the Christians, we all say, Come. We're ready, Jesus. Anytime that you're ready, whenever it is God's time, we are ready. Well, are we saying that truthfully? Are we really ready for the end? Are we ready for this world as we know it to end? For us as Christians, again, I believe with all my heart that we will face the rapture, that we will not go through the tribulation, we will be snatched up, taken up into heaven, that we will rise and meet Jesus in the air and the clouds, and we will be a part of his family for eternity. So are we ready for that? Is there any, if that happened right now, would we have any, oh, I wish I'd done this. I wish I had said this. I wish I had done this. I wish I had ministered here. I wish I had told this person this. Well, we need to be doing that every day. We need to be doing all the things that we know we should have done. And so the bride and uh, the spirit and the bride of the Christ, uh, the church, say come. Then it says, let the one who is thirsty come. Y'all do remember the woman at the well? Jesus was physical thirsty. And he asked the Samaritan lady to draw him some water. And she basically looked at him and said, Who are you, this Jewish person, asking me, a Samaritan, to hand you water? Because that was taboo. Uh, a Samaritan, a, a non-Jew, was not supposed to serve a Jew. And then he basically says, I have water that if you drank of, you would never thirst again. And he was talking about spiritual eternity, spiritual life. And he says, if anyone thirst, let them come. And here's what he will do. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Water of life is eternal life. And it comes without cost. Cost to us. It cost Jesus dearly. He died for our sins. But what that reminds us is we cannot do anything to earn it. We can't purchase it. We can't do enough good deeds. We can only place our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord for us to be able to receive that gift of eternity. And then verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Who's the one testifying? Jesus. He's saying, Yes, I am coming quickly. Whenever that time comes, it will all happen rapidly. Jesus will come quickly. And so the bride needs to be ready. So that when that time comes, we're ready to leave this earth behind and to step into eternity. And we need to be preparing ourselves to do all that we can so that others will go with us. That we won't leave loved ones and friends and neighbors and people in our community behind. In response, here's what the people say. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen it simply means, so be it. 
May it happen. May it be. Come, Lord Jesus. We're ready. Then Jesus closes, I mean, John closes this book with a simple but powerful benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, we all need God's grace. There's two words that are equally powerful. Mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We all deserve eternal death because of our sin. But God forgives us of our sins and he gives us his grace. Grace means receiving that which we do not deserve, which is salvation and eternal life. So John is basically saying, may God's grace, his gift of salvation, his gift of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So be it. There's a contest on one of the Christian radio stations, and the first question was, how does the book of Revelation end? And amen was not the correct answer. With a period was the correct answer. You know, a period is something that we commonly use just to end a sentence. But I think this period is pretty powerful. It's God putting the period on eternity. I've done everything I can. I've given you everything that you need to know. There is going to be a time of judgment. You will be judged not according to your evil, because they will be forgiven. They will be covered by the righteousness of Christ. But you will be judged according to your faithfulness. But the rest of the world will be judged according to their deeds. And if they, their deeds are not covered with the righteousness of Christ, then they will face the eternal judgment, the lake of fire, eternal separation from God. So we, as God's children, need to make sure that we're ready so that we can say, yes, come Lord Jesus, and that we're doing all that we can to minister to those around us with the love of Christ in his name so that they too will be able to say, yes, come Lord Jesus. We've ended our study in the book of Revelation. Questions or comments? Let's close with a time of prayer then. Lord, we look at this book and sometimes we find it somewhat confusing because it's so filled with imagery and visions and things that our minds cannot truly comprehend. Lord, even the descriptions of heaven. Lord, we're using earthly terms to describe something that's not earthly. Lord, help us to understand that whatever it is that you're preparing, it is good. It is perfect, it is holy, and you are there. And we will enjoy being your very, very presence for all of eternity. So yes, come Lord Jesus, amen. Lord, help us to realize that every day we live sinful lives that only can be forgiven by you, that you desire us to live in such a way that radiates the love of Christ around our community. So, Lord, help us be found faithful so that others can say, yes, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.